Hi, this is Hear Her Women's Sports, the bi-weekly podcast about female athletes and women in sports. This is Elizabeth Emery, your host and former professional cyclist. Greetings from Hear Her Sports. It appears I got a cold while away on Christmas break, so excuse my voice. But in episode two, we changed things up a little bit, and Elaine Houlihan talks about yoga and teaching at Fostering Hope. I just love how different the discussion is from episode one, and how different her voice's tone and cadence is from Ruth's. My favorite bits are about splashing water and electric shocks. Well, why don't you start by just saying who you are? My name is Elaine Houlihan. I'm a yoga instructor in Cleveland, Ohio. Can you tell me how you started doing yoga? Well, my very first yoga class was in the backyard of my friend's house when I was probably 15, 16-ish. I remember doing a little bit of yoga class in gym in high school. Um, So I had a little bit of familiarity with it, but then when I went to college um, at Kent State University, the rec center offered yoga classes and I kind of wanted something like a weekly schedule and I don't I'm not one to use lifting equipment or run the track so I thought an organized class would be good for me so I picked yoga and there was an amazing instructor there and I got hooked and I would I just signed up every session until she moved on but what 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 got you to try yoga when you were 15 or 16? What, like, what was that impetus? Where did you even hear about yoga? I don't know if I knew about yoga when I was that age. It was a friend's mom. The friend's mom was a massotherapist, and she had a studio in behind their house, like a shed studio, um, and it was one of her friends. So we were hanging out there, and she had a friend over, and I guess introduced it to us. That's cool. And, and what kind of yoga do you do? Hmm, that's an interesting question. It's um, Hatha yoga uh, that has a holistic focus. So the training that I got is very philosophy-based, and our Hatha tools are ingredients to serve the philosophy of yoga, which is to connect to the source of life. And did you do other sports, or was it has it always been only yoga? I grew up doing sports. I like being active and moving my body, so I grew up playing soccer. Um, I did short stints in volleyball and basketball. Uh, Those didn't last too long. I'm not super athletic or competitive, so um, yoga was a great tool for me because I could be active, but I didn't have to worry about performance or competing with anyone other than myself a little bit. I have a little bit of that, um, absolutely. But uh, it, seemed, it seemed the perfect outlet for me. And the yoga that you do now, how is it different from other yogas? And did you stumble upon that or did you search out a specific type of yoga? I definitely stumbled upon it um, when the instructor that I had at Kent State University moved on. She took other classes or another job or something, I searched around Kent, Ohio for another studio. And I found this class, which was in the basement of the Universalist Unitarian Church. 
back then yoga wasn't as popular and mainstream as it is now. It was kind of just the start of the upswing of it, I think. And um, I actually was like, oh, these classes are a little bit slower. They're a little more boring. I don't know. Um, but I stuck with it for some reason. I think the benefits of yoga were just so great that I just needed a learning curve to adjust to this different style. And that was the teacher. Her name is Margot Milsitic. I stuck with her for the rest of the time I was in Kent, Ohio. And I think, I think it was six, seven, eight years or something like that, that I studied with her. I ended up getting trained uh, with her to be an instructor. And the philosophy part of it grew in me and the importance of it grew in me. I didn't really connect to that initially. Um, but through practice, uh, I began to learn how beneficial it was to me. Why is it beneficial? Because it's it helps me feel settled. It helps me feel whole and connected. Uh, it helps me to become a better person and to grow. Um, I guess the short answer to that is it feels good. You know, I find that uh, I do enjoy... Uh, more physically active yoga or the the yoga that's focused more on that um, but f especially for my body type to do that and to teach as many classes as I do a week it's just exhausting so learning that um, balance the art of balance um, and it, it plays into the subtle energies of who we are I think I um, learned more about that than more about that in those type of classes rather than in the more physically strenuous classes. Um, it's a different kind of challenge. I'm really interested in how yoga does balance that, that physical aspect and the philosophical aspect. And does that feel, do they feel different to you? Does it feel like separate parts of your body or your parts of yourself? Mm, that's such a good question. No, it feels like it's all the same. And the subtle energies are there. And I spend a lot of time ignoring them. Ignoring kind of the subtle feelings and more subtle energies that are in me. Um, but I think they're all there. And then whenever I can slow down and connect to my physical body, uh, it kind of quiets. It's almost like um, if you're splashing in water. It's like you stop splashing in the water and it starts to calm a little bit. And then you can notice the sounds of maybe the wind in the trees or you notice the sounds of the water over the rocks a little bit more because the splashing isn't as um, vigorous or it isn't as loud as it was before. So I think I spent most of my life splashing and then through yoga I kind of learned how to not splash and observe a little bit more and that's the moment where I kind of learned about a lot more about myself than I did before but it's all the same. You know, that river is the same river that is there. Do you feel like an athlete? It's so... In no, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but when you asked me to, to come on and talk, I thought about it. And I do connect with 
you know, my muscles and joints and um, energies in the body. And yoga is very precise movement. Um, and toning and kind of structuring my body in a very precise way through practices that I choose to do or practices that I choose not to do. So I, I am still contemplating that idea of being an athlete, um, but I can see how, how I am. Do you train? Yeah, yeah, I do. How do you train? Walk me through either a day or a week, depending on sort of what your cycle of training would be. So um, my personal yoga practice is, it fluctuates based on what's happening in um, maybe my life or my body or my work. So I teach 14 to 15 classes a week, which is not only um, physical, but also a lot of driving around and a lot of going from place to place and a lot of organizing and packing up the things and unpacking the things. Uh, so it's a lot of movement. So sometimes um, if there's these, this energy um, called vada, if you've heard of that. It's uh, the, the dosha is kind of the movement energy in the body. So sometimes if I have a lot of vata activity, it makes me feel unstable. So then my yoga practice would be maybe me just like laying on the ground and doing small movements to maybe unwind my hip muscles a little bit, maybe just a little bit of um, slow, steady heating in the body. But like a vigorous, fast heating practice would make me feel more unstable. Um, so a lot of my personal practice through the, through the day, which is not so structured or regiment, regimented, um, would be to ground and stabilize uh, and also to keep that so that whenever I come into a yoga class with all kinds of energies and stresses and talkative people and maybe lethargic people, that I can be more stable in, in that position. Um, but that said, especially as it's getting colder, uh, I do need to bring some more heat into my practice. So uh, standing poses, which use your, your leg muscles a lot. I really love chair pose, the basic squat position, uh, coming in and out of chair pose, uh, especially with the, I have, you know, differences in my hip muscles. So kind of feeling both sides of my hips as I come into chair pose and feeling both sides of those muscles as I come out. Um, is what I've been doing lately. Uh, so that's a real rambling answer. <laughs> but I do call it, I would call it training. Right now in my life, I'm not super focused on learning more advanced postures. I'm more focused on um, learning the subtler practices of meditation and kind of calming my energy and how those energies work. Um, so that's my focus right now. But there has been times in my life where I would work on maybe forearm balance or um, getting stronger through the core. I think usually when I'm trying to get stronger, it's I go to the core first. Um, do you meditate every day? And how important do you think meditation is? I think for being a yoga instructor, meditation is the most important because, uh, well, for me, because uh, I tend to be a more uh, easily thrown off person, you know, maybe um, 
going into a yoga class at the beginning class and there's lots of really crazy energy in the room, it's like, okay, well, if I'm the leader of this class to stay grounded in myself and I teach uh, teens that tend to be um, unstable, so being able to be grounded in that position. So for me to stay grounded and focused and connected, um, to be able to think before I react or feel the reactions in my body and, and not be overwhelmed by them, meditation is the key for me. And it's the hardest for me to do. Uh, really? It's much easier for me to work on forearm balance or holding plank pose or um, thinking about internal and external rotators, even though anatomy is quite a challenge for me. But um, it's easier for me to sit down and study that than to sit down and, and try to calm my mind and my fidgety energy. Well, you might be a good person to ask this. How, how have you learned to do it? Through yoga, physical yoga practices. Um, I think for the first five or I don't know how many years, it was like meditation, okay, I'm not going to do that. It's not, it's not for me. Um, I'm more interested in the physical movement. Um, but then whenever I've had teachers that were able to bring me through physical movement and bring me into a place where I feel calm and stable and kind of get a taste of what that is, that um, has shown me the importance of it. So um, physical movement and breathing exercises, so our breath is related directly into our, our mind and uh, also chanting, you know, I'm, I'm helping to lead a teacher training right now. And this past Sunday, we did a long chanting session, which you're just singing the same song over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that tends to like bring a vibration into your body. You can, when you're talking, you can kind of feel the vibration of your focal cords and it radiates through the body and it can help to bring a, a settled feeling. Um, and these, all these different tools are different for each person. So some people might, some per, somebody might really connect to that chanting, that vibration, or breathing exercises, or a physical movement. Um, so you can kind of pick and choose, almost like an artist palette. You kind of pick the colors you need. Um, and it does take a lot of practice and self-study to get to that place where you're like, okay, this is what works for me. And it takes a lot of, in the way that you were talking about training, it does take a lot of discipline and dedication to do those practices, even though maybe it's not um, muscular all the time. I want to read a quote that I think I got from your blog or your website that I really liked. We experience the world through our bodies, and I think it is of great benefit to be aware of that as well as aware of our bodies. There is a distinct, acute sense that it is developed through body awareness that can affect one's entire perception of the environment. This ties into my interest in yoga, which is an endless inquiry into how our bodies move and react in space. I guess I could say that my art is a conversation between my body, mind, and space, and yours, and your body, mind, and space, and the next person's, and so on. Wow. <laughs> Do you want to comment on that? I think that's so fantastic. Ah, I love the idea that I learned through yoga is that we we experience the world through our whole body. It's not just 
um, taking in something and it turns around in our minds. So if we think about the chakras and we think about taking in information and we all know it, we feel things in our guts, we feel things in our hearts, we feel things like in our throat if we get choked up and we can't get words out. So we know that our body is is reacting to the world just like our mind is and you know we can break down and talk about like the neurons and the kind of uh, nerves that are connecting the body to the mind but on a more just experiential level to kind of come to a place where you're opening your whole body to experience something and using your whole body to react to something and when I come into that place of yoga where you're feeling very aware and sensitive and you feel that boundary between you and between everything around you, and it, it can either be all air or all kind of like this thicker syrup and it becomes this really magical place that I, I, uh, I like to explore in. So in uh, yoga practice, but also in art practice. Um, trying to figure ways to make that uh, communicated. There's a lot of yoga students that prefer to really come to practice and challenge themselves physically, and that's the number one priority for, for those students. Um, and my classes might be a little bit disappointing to that student, so in, in my mind, um, I try to structure classes where we we start slow, we kind of slow build into the the challenge that's not like, oh, we just have to get through this, grit your teeth, close your eyes, and just get through it. Um, I try to stop short of that so that there's challenge, but we can still breathe and be fully present in the challenge. Um, and some students, especially very athletic students, are incredibly strong. Um, and, and advanced students um, might feel a little bit distracted or maybe their mind starts to wander because it's a different style than they prefer. Um, but I, I really find that it shakes itself out. Maybe those students don't come back to my class and that's totally fine. You know, they need a different practice and um, the students that prefer the slow build and maybe um, coming up to that point of not overexertion um, and maybe a little bit more quiet space, I guess. And I really love the idea of the different styles of yoga because there's so many different people and there's, you know, we all need something different based on what's going on in our lives and our bodies and our energy and everything. So. Um, and there's some people who might enjoy coming to my class sometimes and then would, you know, needs to go to a power yoga class sometimes and needs to go to a restorative class sometimes. So uh, it's very versatile, which is a thing that I really love about about yoga. I'm re referencing your blog a lot, but I really enjoyed uh, your writing. And one of the things you talked about was being overwhelmed. I often feel overwhelmed, and particularly after this election, I'm feeling particularly so. And... How does yoga help with that, or how can it help? Yeah, oh, that's such a great question, and I've been thinking a lot about this with the election, too. Like, 
the question that everyone seems to be talking about and groups are coming together. What can we do? What can we do? What do we do now? And it's about action. And I find that yoga helps me to, it's not that I push everything away. You know, it's not like going to yoga class and it's like, oh, all my problems are solved and everything's gone. Everything's still there. It's just kind of like you're surfing on the current a little bit better. Um, instead of everything all at once, it's like breath by breath and you can take things one at a time. And I guess more um, just structure and immediate when I think about my week and it's like, oh, I got to do this thing. I got to do this thing because a lot of it is, um, you know, just little things stuck into the schedule. Um, but just kind of feeling my feet on the floor, feeling my butt on my chair and taking a breath. Well, what am I going to do now? And then I've got five minutes and what can I do now? And and taking it chunk by chunk uh, helps me a lot. And that's the the yoga breathing of just stepping back or the yoga awareness of stepping back, noticing the breath helps. Um, physical movement. So whenever it's anxiety and too much, like do a plank pose, use that energy. Okay. Focus the energy. And then, um, we can come back into life more balanced. It sounds like it would help make decisions better and more thoughtfully. Yeah. I often find that if I'm, um, in a yoga class where someone else is leading me through the class, uh, I find that that's nice, even though I know that, um, as I grow in yoga, my own personal practice is very important and being alone and being in quiet is very important. But going to a yoga class where someone else is making all the physical decisions and thinking about the counter poses and thinking about how long we're holding the poses and things, um, I find that that's where my mind settles and I come to terms with things or I find myself and maybe we come into pigeon pose, which, you know, is usually after some physical activity in the hips, you come into pigeon pose to stretch the hips. And I'm like, oh, okay. I can let that be the way it is. I can't do anything about that person acting that way. Okay. I can just accept that. And, um, it's a very simple conclusion, but, um, I, I always am amazed how, those things pop into my mind when I'm doing physical movement, something where I think that it's completely separate from other things that are going on in my mind. I guess that goes back to how our whole body is experiencing life. So our whole body um, maybe is confused. And as we work out our muscles, maybe um, as our body becomes in more line, maybe our mind does too. I don't know. I just like to think that way sometimes. <laughs> One of the big differences that I noticed with cycling is that with cycling, it's so repetitive. You know, you're doing the same motion over and over again, which is not the case with yoga at all. And with the repetitive motion, I, I do go into a meditative state. So I'm curious, you know, with the non-repetitive motion of yoga, like what's happening? What are you thinking about? What's going on in your mind during that process? I think that once you... For me, once I practice the movements enough, it becomes repetitive in a way. You know, your my body comes into it, kind of clicks into warrior two. You know, those muscles kind of know what to do. And sometimes the sun salutations are so repetitive to me that I'm like, I 
can't do another sense. I'm so bored with sun salutations. So the variation of movements helps to keep me focused. Um, and it it does be it's different movements, but it does become repetitive for me, um, which brings me into a meditative state. Um, I think it's Desikachar that says variation breeds attention or something like that that my teacher um, told us. So it's the same set of poses that we work on for a, a series of years, maybe months, maybe years, but then little variations that help us not to like check out. We're like checking in because it's a little bit different, but it's the same at the same time. Sometimes as I'm teaching classes, I'm like, oh man, this is the same dang thing over and over again. I'm so, I hope the students aren't bored, you know, it's the same class. I'm, um, and then finding ways to add those little variations so that it, it needs to be the same class, kind of like cycling, I guess it needs to be the same movement um, so that you're refining it and perfecting it. Um, but it, maybe in yoga, we bring in little different movements so that, I guess for me, I don't check out. I don't know if that really answered your question. No, I like that a lot. I like the idea of a little subtle difference that yeah. keeps you there. Yeah. Reminds you to look again or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know for cycling, would it be um, maybe going on a different route? I think I, I actually find great difference in the routes. I, I am a lover of routine, so I'll yeah. do an out and back every day, the same out and back, and I just love it. And I love just to watch the difference that happens every day, yeah. depending on the weather and yeah. you know where I am. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of yoga styles that are the same routine. So it's like you just get up and you do the routine, which is nice because you have it laid out for you and you can start to notice those differences. For those of us who are a little more spastic in the mind, it's too hard <laughs> to calm down and we need um, maybe more variation than that. Routine is the hardest thing for me to do, but it is probably the most useful thing for me to do, self-discipline of a, a strict routine. Um, so I, I would do well to have you as a friend saying, <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, do it. Oh, same thing. So t talk a little bit about teaching because you are teaching 10, 15 classes a yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, and you teach a variety of students. Yeah. And I'm really interested in what you started just recently, the Boys and Girls Club, but also yeah. the Fostering Hope. So yeah. if you could tell us a little bit about that. Oh, it's so, um, it's been such a journey. But our training is very thoughtful and, um, you know, we practice active listening in our training. Uh, Margot is um, also a counselor. So she, there's a lot of skills there that um, she brought into our training for it to be therapeutic and holistic and to learn how to um, try to be as accepting of as many different peoples can walk in the door, not only having those tools physically, so uh, modifications for poses, but also um, holding space emotionally. Um, so in that way, I was a little, little, little bit prepared. Um, like I said, I didn't know what residential treatment was. I never really thought about foster care. Um, residential treatment is 
kind of an extension of foster care. Some sometimes it is, it's an extension of the juvenile justice um, system as well. But you know, all those things can be interrelated. Um, when we think of quote unquote bad kids, we can also think of um, surviving kids. So uh, I learned a lot in the past couple years about that. In Cuyahoga County, there's 4,000 children in the foster care system right now, and it's rising. Um, and I was just talking with our executive director, Nicole Shafrin. Uh, we uh, reach only 600 of those kids through Fostering Hope. And we hope to grow to reach more and more of those kids. Um, but uh, I think one of the biggest lessons the kids have taught me is to be flexible and to listen. So if I come into this class with an agenda and I, I have a class plan, I have a theme, something that I would like to teach and to discuss and to get across. But um, if I come in thinking like, no, no, reroute, reroute to what I'm going to do. Listen to me. I'm in charge here. Um, maybe nothing's going to happen. So I've um, been learning how to stop and listen and to interact. Um, for example, yesterday I was at a residential treatment center and um, it was a um, challenging class. Lots of these girls live with each other 24-7. They um, are all going through their own process and journeys. And What age are they? Yesterday, uh, this center, they were the younger girls between 7 and 13, I think. I also teach the other cottages are usually between 13 and 18. So I'm with older girls more often. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of anger, a lot of survival skills, a lot of trauma. Um, so that was coming out and there was a lot of anger and a lot of um, fighting. Um, and, and trying to invite the students to have an experience like we can talk through problems and that is amazing and that is very useful but also maybe using your body and and seeing how you feel um can that help shift how you how you're how you're feeling so let's do side plank so i and that's a very activating strengthening grounding posture so i showed a couple versions a couple ways to do it a way that's maybe a little less muscular um action and then a way that's a little more muscular action a little more heating and only one student accepted the information invitation to try it the other students sat there staring and looking and that was great so they saw the the, the shape of the pose um and th that girl who had um chosen to try it she was talking about how she feels like she can't open jars and she feels like she's weak so this was a pose that I offered to help you feel strong. And she uh, embraced the challenge and she liked the challenge. Um, and in my mind, like myself, I would want all the students, let's all try it. Let's do it. Come on. But you know what? Their body is their body. And that what they're going to choose to do at that moment is their choice and honoring that choice and um, saying, yeah, if you chose not to do this, that was the right choice for you. And you did choose to try it. And how do you feel now after you tried it? Um, so that is a big uh, learning curve for me. 
um, and a lot of information for me because in an adult yoga class, if I say, okay, let's all inhale and lift the arms up, 90% of the students, 99% of the students are going to do that. Um, and then, you know, students, well, maybe not do the whole poses, but mostly adults follow <laughs> what you say. Um, do your younger students, do they, have you noticed that more of them start taking, start choosing to do the poses over time? Or is it a constant battle? And how do you feel sort of philosophically about, you know, I think I think it's great that everybody chooses their own thing, but they are there in a way to to grow and you're offering something yeah. really great for them. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a it's a balancing act. So um, trauma is characterized as not having control. So not having control of your body, not having control of the situation. So one of our biggest missions in Fostering Hope is to show, right now we're teaching all girls, to show girls that um, you do have control of your body. So that line between inspiring students to try it and trying to make it as appealing as you can and um, exciting as you can. And, you know, sometimes I'll do show off yoga poses. I'll like, can you stand on your head? I can. Watch me. And I'll stand on my head and they'll be like, whoa. And I was like, it took me years. took me years to learn this step by step. You got to start here to try to inspire um, students to try it. But also um, being accepting and um honoring and, and supportive if they don't. And and sometimes uh, some um, theories talk about certain body shapes can trigger flashbacks or P- your PTSD and things like that. So if, if I'm instructing a yoga posture and maybe it's the shape that a student was in when a trauma happened, um, like arms overhead or tabletop pose or something like that. And I'm really forceful for a student to come into that posture and I don't know, you know, that it's triggering or a traumatic experience happened in that shape. Um, If I'm pushing and pushing and and saying, try it, try it, try it. And the student's like, oh, no. And as a teacher, you have this place of authority inherently. And I'm an adult. Um, It could it could be against our mission. So um, I, I remind myself of that um, every time I teach. And some students are very intelligent. On Sunday, I was at a class and um, I walked into the, the center and a fight had just happened. One of the girls who was be on the receiving end of the attack was um, a student that often comes to class and she very plainly said to me some physical shapes trigger my PTSD so I'm not going to do poses today and how mature is that that's incredible isn't that incredible I don't know if I can say that for myself that this is what's happening in my body when I do this hopefully with my yoga practice I become more aware and can say like oh well if I work my hamstrings too much then I have more anxiety I don't know but she knows, and she's very young, you know, so um, we colored instead <laughs> so uh, and talked about it. So. And, and, and how are the students responding to the philosophical side of the yoga? I think that um, mostly, you know, when I ask, how do you feel after yoga? I feel more calm. I feel more relaxed. Um, I feel like the students 
some respond to that well. Sometimes finding a place of calm is unnerving to some students because it's not familiar or it's kind of scary or you your mind starts to go places you don't want it to go. Um, there's something terrifying about quiet. Yeah, there's a statistic that something like, um, I forget, I totally forget it, a um, couple like 30% of people or 60% of people would rather give themselves electric shocks than be alone with their thoughts. Um, I think I heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so those little like things that we do, the, the unmindful movements or things that we say to deflect feeling something, things that we eat to deflect feeling something, um, it's these unconscious behaviors so that maybe we don't have to be alone with our thoughts. And uh, Margot always says that yoga is not for the weak at heart. It's, you know, it's quite challenging. Like the, the meditation, our mind is like a dark alley. We're like not sure what's in that alley. <laughs> or a dark basement. I don't know what's down there. Lots of cobwebs. Lots <laughs> of <dust>. cobwebs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't been looking at that for years. I don't want to dust it off. Do you have heroes? Yoga heroes, sports heroes, hmm. teaching heroes? Definitely. Um, yeah, definitely uh, Margot is my yoga hero. Um, and just the teachings of yoga in general, you know, passed down for years and years. This incredibly useful tool. Um, so when I stop and think about it, just like this deep sense of gratitude comes through that people were working to share something that worked. It seems so wise to me whenever I do yoga. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And the idea is that we're, it's like we ha all have that wisdom. It's like built into us. And when we practice yoga, we get to kind of uncover it a little bit. So, yeah, it's not so much like the teacher's teaching it. It's like we're discovering it. What, what's needed for your practice? Hmm. Like little... I don't know. I don't know. I really like... Um, I really like having a comfortable atmosphere, you know, maybe some music, a clean floor. I get irritated. <laughs> and we have three pets, so sometimes I'm like, oh, got to sweep the floor before I do yoga, and then it's like, you know domino effect like oh if I sweep the floor God needs mopped and I don't usually mop the floor and then do yoga but maybe that's maybe that's the quirk that I'm maybe discovering is that I really want a clean floor don't uh, sometimes I'm like no time I just have to practice in the the cat hair and then I feel dirty but <laughs> um, I really like a friend of mine um, gifted me some incense that is not like choking incense. It's really good incense. Um, so yeah, trying to create a nice environment. Do you have a favorite outfit? No. Favorite yoga mat? I I I still have, yeah, I never thought of this. I still have the first mat I ever bought. And it's lime green and it's falling apart. Um, and I keep that as my home outside mat. And then my other mats are like my good going out mats <laughs> or to share with students mats. Because this old one is, it's dirty and 
you know, been washed a million times, but it's like got that dirt in there that's like not, it's like stained. The good dirt. The good dirt, yeah. So that's that's been, um, that mat is, let's see if I was, that mat is probably 15 years old. And I don't see myself getting rid of it anytime soon, so maybe that's a quirk I never thought of. Yeah, the mat. Well, thanks very much for coming to Here for Sports. Oh, thank you so much. I am. I have a sweatshirt on underneath this, my, my work shirt. Because Here Her Sports is a new podcast, please subscribe on iTunes so more people can find out about it. Click the yellow iTunes link on the upper right side of hearhersports.com to find us. Thank you, Goldmines, for the use of the song Incomparable from their recent album, Goldmines. Visit hearhersports.com to find the links to the band and to our other sponsors. Agnes Studio just showed me the proofs of the cute notebook she's designing, so they will be ready soon to order from the shop page on our website. Support the female athletes you know by attending a women's sporting event or watching one on TV. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo Jo. Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.